take your copy of God's Word and open it with me this morning to the book of Psalms, and we're going to look at the 90th Psalm, all 17 verses. We'll begin in a moment in verse 1, the book of Psalms, the 90th Psalm, starting in verse 1. There is a famous cathedral in Europe that has three large doorways that you have to pass through in order to get to the sanctuary. And above each of these doorways, there is a message that is written in stone. When you come to the first doorway, it says, all that pleases is for a moment. The second one says, all that troubles is for a moment. And that final message says, all that is important is eternal. We need to remember that last one because it is amazing how much of our time we spend on things that are not important in light of eternity. Let's be honest, a lot of us are trapped in what's called the urgency of the moment. Because at any given moment, we've all got our list of things that have to get done, chores that we have to do, bills that we have to pay, places that we have to go. And all of this is fine and good. But for most of us, it seems like we spend way too much time on those things that are temporary and not near enough time on those things that are eternal. For example, we get all excited about football game that lasts for three hours. And then we get all excited about a vacation that lasts a week or two. We buy a car that lasts for a few years, and it's all temporary. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about living your life in light of eternity. There are 150 psalms in the book of Psalms, but did you know that only one of them was written by Moses? We've been in a series for a year now on the life of Moses. So this morning, we're going to look at the psalm Moses wrote. This is the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms. And we don't know this for sure, but depending on when Moses wrote this, compared to when he wrote Genesis or compared to when the book of Job was written, it's possible. We don't know for sure, but it is possible that the verses we're about to read, this is the oldest passage in all of the Bible. If it's not the oldest, it is certainly one of the oldest. And what is it about? It's about eternity. In this psalm, Moses contrasts the shortness of man's life with the eternality of God. The purpose of this psalm is to teach us and to help us to have an eternal perspective in life, to not just live for the moment, but for eternity. Now, there are four major sections in this psalm, and in each of these sections, it tells us something that motivates us to live in light of eternity. And first, I want you to notice God is eternal. If we're going to live in light of eternity, we have to remember that God is eternal. Notice verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all 
generations. Now, notice the words dwelling place. This means a lot more when you remember that Israel has spent years wandering in the wilderness. What is the one thing they have not had? They have not had a dwelling place. In fact, even before the Exodus, for 430 years, God's people have been waiting. They've not really had a land of their own. You think about the United States, we are almost 250 years old. And yet in this nation, we've always had a land. But at this point in Israel's history, not yet. So Moses looked to the one thing they lacked, the one thing they did not have, a dwelling place, and he says in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. In other words, we may not have had a land, but we have had you. You see, God more than compensates for anything you might be lacking in your life. For example, when you are lonely, the Lord is your companion. When you're lost, the Lord is your guide. When you're grieving, the Lord is your comfort. When you're afraid, the Lord is your peace. When you are attacked, the Lord is your defender. And when you are homeless, when you are wandering, the Lord is your dwelling place. Moses said, God, this has been true for all generations. Generations come and go, but God remains faithful. But then in verse 2, Moses takes that a step further. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Many of the pagans surrounding Moses, they believed that the mountains were eternal. So Moses looked to those mountains and said, God, you brought them forth, which is a way of saying you gave birth to them in a sense. In fact, before the mountains even came into being, before the universe existed, Moses said in verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, that's one of the deepest, one of the most beautiful statements about God that you will find in all of Scripture. From everlasting to everlasting. That means from eternity past to eternity future. That means there has never been a time when he was not God, nor will there ever be a time when he is not God. If you could go so far back that even the concept of time was a secret hidden in the mind of God, even then he was God and he enjoyed fellowship with himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was then everything he is now and everything he always will be, almighty, omniscient, holy, loving in fact, it's interesting, this word everlasting that is used to describe God in verse 2, this is the same word God used to describe his love for us in Jeremiah 31 when he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now, let me tell you why this matters. Because if God is eternal, if he is from everlasting to everlasting, first of all, that means this world does not revolve around us. 
Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think that it does. It does not. But also, this ought to encourage us because that means in a world that is constantly changing, God remains the same and He is always in control. And if we're going to live for eternity, not just the present, if we're going to live for eternity, it begins by us remembering that God is eternal, but then we also must remember life is brief. I need to warn you about something at this point. You may not like the next two sections of this psalm. What Moses is going to say, I regret to inform you, is not going to be a boost to your ego. He tells us some things about ourselves that we do not want to hear, but some things that we need to hear. Look at verse 3. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. Immediately we see that time for God and time for man are not the same thing. God, who is from everlasting, who is eternal, he uh, says to man, return to destruction. That word destruction uh, also translates dust. When Adam sinned, God said, from dust you came, and to dust you will return. And so, in verse 3, God says to us, return ben Adam. Literally, it says, sons of Adam, return. There will come a time in our lives when God says to you, and God says to me, return to dust. It's not something that just happens. Oh, no. God orders it because God has already declared that the wages of sin is death. But I want you to notice what Moses is doing. He's comparing the eternality of God with the brevity of this life in which we live. Notice in verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. And like a watch in the night. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, by raising your hand, can say that you, more or less, can remember what happened yesterday? If you're not raising your hand, I'm going to pray for you. You can remember what happened yesterday. Let me ask you, how many of you can remember what happened a thousand years ago? Me neither. So I had to look it up. This is 2022. What happened in the year 1022? What was happening? What was the big news? What was everybody talking about? Well, it turns out in the year 1022, they also were dealing with a plague. Almost the entire German army was wiped out, not by another army, but by a plague. That's what they were all talking about. And then the Byzantine emperor, he was assassinated. They were talking about that. And then there was this 14-year-old kid who became king of modern-day Tunisia. God bless their hearts, 14 years old. They were talking about that. It was in the year 1022 that for the very first time, the Catholic Church began the practice of burning heretics. 
They were talking about that. This was all the news a thousand years ago, and yet none of us woke up thinking about that unless you're a history major. In fact, even if you were a history major, you probably don't remember any of that. I tell you this because in the mind of God, all of that, it's as if it happened yesterday. You see, God looks at the whole picture. He sees and knows everything that is happening in this world and everything that is happening in your life right now, but he also sees and knows everything that happened a thousand years ago and everything that will happen a thousand years from now, and God knows how all of the above is going to work together for our good to those who love him who are called according to his purpose. He sees and knows all of that. But the reason why Moses tells us that with God a thousand years are like a day is to show us how short our lives are in comparison. For example, verse 5, you carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. Verse 6, in the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, It is cut down and withers. Moses said, your whole life is like a night's sleep. How many of you have ever been so tired? You put your head down on your pillow, you closed your eyes, and then it really felt like you just immediately opened your eyes. But just like that, it was time to get up. Moses said, that's your life. He said, your life is like grass. Think about a single blade of grass. He said, it sprouts up in the morning, and then the sun shines on it, and then it grows. But then before the day is over, somebody comes along, and they cut the grass. And then who remembers that single little blade of grass that for a brief moment sprouted up and then was gone? Who gives it any thought? Who remembers it? God and nobody else. You see, Moses understood that we need to remember just how brief life is in order to make our lives count. Because if you go through your life as if it will never end, you will probably wind up wasting your life on things that are not important. We remember that story, that parable Jesus told in Luke 12 about the man who had had great success, who built up great wealth, and then he spoke to himself. Remember what he said? Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That's what he thought. But God said to him, you fool This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Not his. It'll all belong to someone else. Now, I tell you this knowing that none of you came to church hoping that this is what you would hear. But if we forget 
how brief life is, we will prioritize all of the wrong things in life. And let me say this is especially true for you young people who are here today because to you right now it might seem like this earthly life is going to continue forever. But let me assure you the older I get I have discovered it goes by a lot quicker than you think. If we're going to live for eternity, we must remember God is eternal, life is brief. We also must remember that judgment is certain. Judgment is certain because God's wrath is real. Look at verse 7. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. Again, I realize most people don't want to think about or talk about the wrath of of God. But God's wrath is his natural response to sin because God is holy and because God is just. And it is because God is just that he must judge sin. And at the cross, he did judge sin. We sang that song just a few minutes ago till on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied When Jesus died on the cross, that's exactly what happened. God's wrath for sin was poured out on him so that by believing upon him, God's wrath need not be poured out on us. Look at verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you. Let me pause right there. God doesn't see our sin the way we do. We pat ourselves on the back and think, my sin is not that bad. But God sees every sin, our iniquities, they are in plain sight before God. That by itself ought to strike fear in us. But then the second half of this verse, our, what kind of sins? Secret sins in the light of your countenance. If we only had to worry about those sins in our lives that everybody else knows about, that by itself would be bad enough. But even those sins no one else knows about, they will be judged can't help but wonder if maybe Moses was thinking about that time when he was 40 years old and he killed the Egyptian man thinking that no one was looking. Someone was looking. And the very next day, everyone knew about it. All the way up to Pharaoh and he had to run for his life. His secret sin was exposed. Two years ago, there was an interesting story in the news. Some of you may remember it. But there was a 94-year-old man out in the country in Tennessee who was arrested. And you think, what in the world? What kind of trouble was some 94-year-old man causing that he was arrested? It turns out he was arrested for crimes that he committed as a Nazi during World War II in one of the concentration camps. Now, we've seen stories like this numerous times, but let me tell you what makes this story stand out, what makes this story so interesting. It turns out that the evidence linking him to the crimes that he committed were on a card on a ship which sunk in 1950. For years, the only evidence incriminating him, identifying him as an SS soldier in a concentration camp, was literally at the very bottom of the Baltic Sea. 
And I am sure that man thought for sure it was buried and would never come back to haunt him. But it did not stay there because years later, there were some divers who went deep sea diving to check out the the wreckage of that ship. And they found that card and they brought it back to the surface and he was identified and he was arrested and his sin was exposed. You may think your sin is buried, but God knows how to unbury it. It's just a fact that the sin we conceal, God exposes. But let me turn that around and say it's also true that the sin we confess, God forgives. Look at verse 9. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. (sighs) Again, that's your life. That's how quickly judgment comes. It's like a sigh. Verse 10 says, the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength, they are 80 years. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. It's interesting, Moses lived to the age of 120, but even he knew when he wrote these words that that was no longer the norm. That at this point, the norm was 70 years, 80 years. Some live more, some live less. It's still true today. But even if you live 70 or 80 years, his point is it's still but a moment. If you are blessed with good health, don't boast. Because he said, you're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to look back. And what are you going to see? Labor and sorrow. Then what? Then your life is cut off. You see, judgment is going to come sooner than you think it is. And then what? Look at verse 11. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. There is no person who can truly, fully, completely understand the strength of of God's anger, how fierce his wrath is. But Moses is simply showing us the measure of a life that is not built upon God. Apart from God's grace, we're born, we live For a moment, we die, and then wrath. And were it not for Jesus Christ, were it not for the cross, that's all any of us would have to look forward to. Now, knowing all of this, knowing that life is short and judgment comes quickly, what should our response be? Verse 12 tells us. Here's our response. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Because judgment is certain, because our sin will be exposed, and we will stand before God and give an account, here's the application. We are to number our days. To number our days means to acknowledge our finiteness, our mortality, to remember that in an instant this life could easily be over. And I find it very interesting that Moses told us to count or to number our days, not number our years. Ooh, we don't like that. I would much rather tell you that I am 47 
than tell you that I am 17,398. Because yes, that is my age in days as of February the 6th, 2022. I counted it. (laughs) But Moses said we are to number our days because when we do, we acquire wisdom. In the 18th century, there was a great preacher many of you are familiar with, Jonathan Edwards. God used him in a mighty way. One of the reasons why God used Jonathan Edwards is because he wrote these resolutions. And these aren't like the resolutions that you make and I make every New Year's and then you forget about it a month later. Oh no, these were real resolutions. Let me tell you, Jonathan Edwards, he would laugh at our resolutions. Now, I don't have time to read all of the resolutions that he made, but there are five in particular that I want to share with you because each one of these these resolutions is a practical application of this third stanza of Moses' hymn. And so listen to these words, resolved, never to lose one moment of time, but improve it. In the most profitable way I can. Resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Resolved never to do anything that I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. I think we could all put a big star by that one. Resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. Resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. These are the words of a man who numbered his days and gained much wisdom as a result. If we're going to live for eternity, we've got to remember that God is eternal. Life is brief. Judgment is certain. But I'm so glad that the psalm did not end after verse 12. Because if the psalm had ended after verse 12, let me tell you, we would all be in a whole lot of trouble. There's one more thing that Moses tells us in this last stanza that we need to know if we're going to live for eternity, God is merciful. This last stanza is all about God's mercy. Look at verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. Now I want you to notice Moses prays this prayer for himself, but he writes it down for us to pray as well. And the reason why he writes it down is because he knows that God will answer it. If God does not answer this prayer, it doesn't make any sense. It has no point. The point of the prayer is that this is what God will do If you seek him, if you ask him. Okay, what will God do? He will have compassion. Yes, we saw earlier, God's response to sin is wrath. But God's response to sinners is compassion. 
God is far more compassionate with us than we are with others, far more willing to forgive us than we are willing to be forgiven. Look at verse 14. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy. Let me pause there. That Hebrew word is hesed. And yes, it translates mercy. Sometimes it translates loving kindness. It refers to God's covenant love. It's the Hebrew version of that Greek word agape. But notice that it satisfies us. Your money will not satisfy you. Your achievements will not satisfy you. The titles that you gain will not satisfy you. But the hesed, the mercy of God will satisfy you. So much so that Moses can say in the second half of that verse that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Yes, we saw earlier in the psalm, Moses said, one day you're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to look back and see labor and sorrow. Labor and sorrow. And yes, that's true. And yet, he says there's a joy And there is a gladness that God gives us that overcomes our sorrows. Look at verse 15. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. God will make us glad when? When all the bills are paid? When... Everyone is healthy, when life is easy, when there's no adversity in your life. No. According to the days in which you have afflicted us, in the years in which we have seen evil. In other words, yes, there is affliction, and yes, there is evil that comes into our lives. But this gladness that God gives, it does not depend upon your circumstances. There is this gladness that you can experience even in the most difficult seasons of your life. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe some of you have no idea what I'm talking about because you have to know him personally in order to experience this But there is a a gladness that God makes available to his people. Then look at verse 16. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. In the beginning of this psalm, Moses talked about God's faithfulness to all generations. We come to verse 16, and he prays for God to do a work among his servants, a work in which the glory of God will be revealed and that, and that that glory would also be revealed to their children, to the next generation. And remember where Moses was. He's wandering in the wilderness. He already knows he's not going to be able to enter the promised land. And that oldest generation with him, they're not going to enter the promised land. He knows that it's going to be the next generation that's going to enter the promised land. So he prays and says, God, would you do something in us that would be passed down to them. It's a pretty good prayer to pray. Finally, look at verse 17. And let, oh, I love this. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, 
establish the work of our hands. What a wonderful thing to pray for, that the beauty of God would be upon us, that God's beauty would fill our lives and be displayed in us, that the world would be able to look at us and see how beautiful God really is. Moses has spent all this time talking about how brief life is and how quickly judgment comes. But then we get to the end of this psalm and he prays that the work of their hands would be established. Established here means that which will last, that which will endure for eternity. You see, your life may be a sigh. Your life may be like a night's sleep. Your life may be like a blade of grass that is cut down. Your life may last 70 years or 80 years. But we get to the very last verse of the psalm and it turns out your life can still have an eternal impact. You realize every time you pray, every time you serve, every time you give, every time you go, Everybody, every time you share Christ with somebody who's lost and someone is saved, all of a sudden someone goes from death to life, from hell to heaven, and in that moment, eternity is impacted. And I love what Moses does. He, he doesn't just say this one time. He says it two times for emphasis. God will take these hands my hands, your hands. In fact, just humor me for a moment and hold them out, please, just for a moment. Take a look at these hands that God has given to you. God will take these hands and through them, he will do that, which lasts for eternity. And every work that you do for the Lord will be established because God promises to remember it, He promises to recognize it, and He promises to reward it with treasures in heaven that last forever. So let me just close this message by saying this. If I had to take this whole psalm and all four sections and all four points, and if I had to just summarize all of this and leave you with one thought, the thing that I hope you would take with you when you leave here today, here it is. Live today for what lasts forever. Christian brother, Christian sister, live today for what lasts forever. Heavenly Father, you are eternal. You are God from everlasting to everlasting. And yet we've received that needed reminder through your word this morning that life is brief and judgment comes quickly. And were it not for Jesus Christ, apart from your grace, all we'd have to look forward to is wrath and eternal separation from God. But we thank you that you are merciful. And because of your mercy, you sent Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life and went to the cross and suffered your wrath and died for our sins and rose again the third day. And because of that, he is Lord. And your word says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
God, I can't help but believe that there are some folks here today who have been living as if this life lasts forever. There are probably some people listening to this message right now, God, either in the room or online, who have forgotten just how brief life is and the fact that one day we will stand before you and even our secret sins will be exposed. So I pray for that man or that woman or that young person here today that needs to come to Christ and be saved, who needs to call upon the Lord, that they would not wait or delay, that they would understand that their life is like that blade of grass that is soon cut down, and that today is the day of salvation. So would you knock on the doors of hearts of all of those who this day need to come to Christ and be born again? And God, I pray for my church family this morning that you would help all of us, all of us here, to live our lives in light of eternity. God, we we spend enough time on those things that are temporary. And some of those things are fine. But God, we want to make sure that we live today for what lasts forever. Would you help us to do that? Would you help us to see what changes we need to make in our lives today in order for that to be a reality? And we thank you, God, that you can take even us as frail and finite as we are. You can take us, you can take these hands of ours and work through them in such a way that the work of our hands would be established forever and forever. That's what we pray you would do in us and through us today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.